The Supreme Court is currently deciding the case of West Virginia versus EPA, whose central question is how far the EPA can go in regulating greenhouse gas emissions from coal and gas-fired power plants under the Clean Air Act. The case could have broader implications for other federal statutory frameworks that aim to protect public health and the environment. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Lisa Heinzerling, a professor of law at Georgetown University Law Center. Professor Heinzerling has written a perspective article about climate change policy and the Supreme Court. Professor Heinzerling, could you start by explaining the facts behind West Virginia versus EPA and the history behind the case? Yes, the Supreme Court held in 2007 that the Clean Air Act actually authorizes the Environmental Protection Agency to regulate greenhouse gases. That case involved regulation of automobiles, motor vehicles under the statute. And when EPA received that authority, eventually it passed rules with respect to automobiles, but then went on to look at other sources as well. And one of those categories of sources are the power plants you mentioned. These are some of the largest sources of greenhouse gases in the country. And so the EPA targeted them early on in regulating greenhouse gases. And so it regulated them under a section of the Clean Air Act that applies to stationary sources. And that gives EPA quite broad authority to regulate sources according to whether they are using what the statute calls the best system of emission reduction. And under that authority, EPA in 2015 enacted a rule called the Clean Power Plan that told power plants to control their emissions in a way that would not only take into account reductions that could occur within a single plant, but that also that it could occur by moving power generation to other kinds of sources, even including renewables such as solar plants. And that rule was stayed by the Supreme Court. It never took effect. The Trump administration came into office and repealed that rule and enacted its own very weak rule. And now that whole set of decisions is in front of the Supreme Court in an unusual posture. That is, there is actually no rule in effect right now that applies to power plants and greenhouse gases. And nevertheless, the Supreme Court is considering the agency's power to regulate greenhouse gases from power plants. So in your perspective article, you write that not long ago, the court would have relied on so-called Chevron deference to answer any question about a federal agency's discretion in interpreting a broad statute. So what would that have entailed? That would have entailed looking first to see whether the statute clearly ruled out what the agency was trying to do. If that is true, if a statute clearly rules out an agency's action, then that action is unlawful without further analysis. But what the Chevron principle required courts to do is if a statute is ambiguous, that is not clear, then the court was supposed to uphold the agency's decision as long as it reflected a reasonable interpretation of a statute. And that principle gave agencies a lot of leeway in interpreting their own statutory programs. One of the reasons is because the agency is more expert than the courts are. And another is that they're mildly politically accountable. They are answerable in many, if not most cases, to the president for example, and also to Congress, while the courts are not. But as you note in your article, conservative justices have turned away from that kind of reasoning in recent years. So how have those justices explained the shift? 
it's quite stunning, the turnaround. I mean, Chevron really became dominant as a consequence of conservative judges. And then a few years ago, I think not coincidentally, honestly, when President Barack Obama was in office, the judges took another look at that doctrine and said, well, we don't really actually like it. We don't like the idea of an agency having the authority to interpret a statute and then getting deference from the courts for it. We think that gives too much power to the agencies and we don't think they're adequately accountable in the electoral process to give them that kind of power. So one more question about legal terminology. How does the so-called major questions test work and how has the court used it in recent cases? Major questions idea has to do with the justice's sense or the conservative justice's sense that if a policy question is big enough, is consequential enough, then Congress needs to speak clearly in giving an agency the authority to take on that question and to answer that question. And so in really recent important cases, the Supreme Court has taken a quite aggressive approach to this idea. In both cases involving COVID-19 rules, in one case, the CDC had issued a nationwide moratorium on evictions in areas that experiencing high COVID transmission. In another case, uh, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration had issued a rule requiring large employers to require vaccinations or testing from employees. And in both cases, the Supreme Court said that the public health statutes in question simply didn't allow the agencies to do what they did because Congress hadn't clearly allowed those kinds of pandemic-related measures. So then getting back to the current case, how is the court expected to decide in West Virginia versus EPA? Well, it's always hazardous to guess, but we have a lot of hints from those recent cases involving statutes that are kind of structurally similar to the Clean Air Act. We have a lot of hints from the justices' opinions on regulation in general. And of course, we have some hints from the oral argument. And from all that, I'd say, I think it seems that the justices may well limit EPA's power under the Clean Air Act to address climate change. And I think they may well do so using that major questions principle that I described. That is, they may well say that the construction of a program that allows the EPA to regulate sources by looking beyond the fence line of an individual source, like I described, into reductions available at other physical locations, that that's just too consequential a question to be delegated to EPA implicitly. And if the court does that, then not only does that hamper EPA's authority to regulate power plants under the Clean Air Act, but it potentially could hamper both EPA's and other agencies' efforts to address major questions relating to the public health and the environment. So finally, to pursue that, what will this case and the reliance on the major questions doctrine in general mean for the ability of federal agencies to protect public health and the environment more broadly? What will happen? Well, I think the the tendency has been for the court to be suspicious of agencies that are acting to protect public health and the environment under statutes that speak in broad terms relating to the public health. And the court is looking for very specific language that typically we don't have necessarily at the time Congress acts. 
facts. We don't know what the future holds with respect to pandemics and climate change and all of that at the time that Congress passes a statute. And that's one of the reasons why it writes in broad terms and gives an agency the authority to take action once those threats become more certain and more dire. And that kind of attitude toward agency decisions in service of public health and the environment is very damaging to the agency's ability to take on major problems. Thank you, Professor Heinzerling.